That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. So it's funny. I was talking to my new producer, Dan Z, uh, just before we were set to record something today. And we were reminiscing on last week's pod where I talked about how when something goes wrong and I have a plan and it, and it doesn't work out, I lose my, my mind. Uh, and then I'm working on that. And that, you know, part of being mindful and aware and knowing your own uh, faults is to understand things that trip you up and try to work your way through them. So today's guest for the pod, which I usually record a day or two in advance just in case something goes wrong. Uh, didn't work out. Something came up, wires crossed, wasn't going to happen. So I'm stuck with no guest with an hour before I'm supposed to, you know, be doing other stuff. And that's the only time I could do it. So instead of losing my mind, I calmly thought about who do I know that's out at the Super Bowl because I wanted to have someone Super Bowl related leading up to the big game this weekend. And thankfully, uh, an angel on earth, Allison Turner from the Labertard Show, was out on the, the mess that is Radio Row at the Mall of America in Minneapolis. So I reached out to her and we had a fun half hour conversation about her trying to nab guests on Radio Row out there. What it's like to be a booker for a show like the Levitard Show with Stugatz where um, they don't always a- appeal to the average guest. They don't always uh, uh, handle their interviews in a way that makes people uh, rushing to come back and talk again. So she's got a tough job over there, but she's got great stories and some interesting new friendships that have uh, come about from being the booker on that show. So it was a fun conversation, and I'm glad I had to have her on because um, I'm not at Super Bowl this week, and it's only the second time in nine years that I am not covering basically the entire week of Super Bowl, wherever it is. The only other one I missed was New Orleans, which is a bummer because that would have been a good one. Uh, but ever since the Bears in 06, I've gone to at least uh, every one except for that New Orleans one. And this year I went for one day on Tuesday to do a shoot with Lindsey Whalen for ESPNW. That'll be up uh, on the website soon. We kind of bounced around to different hot spots that she likes in Minneapolis and ate and drank our way through the city. Um, but I, I'm back in Chicago and it was a quick trip for me, missed out on all the parties and all the good stuff. Um, and so since I don't have any amazing stories from this year, and I won't since I won't be headed back, I figured I would do a little flashback to a couple years ago on the pod. I think this was episode three of the pod. So you only heard it if you are a diehard fan and you've been on board since the beginning or if you went back and, and found the episode and wanted to listen to it. Uh, but this is a story from a couple years ago when my friend slash acquaintance, Mark Cuban, a couple other friends of mine, and I all ended up in an ambulance at the end of the night. So here's a little flashback. Enjoy. Out in Arizona, um, I became friends, acquaintances with Mark Cuban years ago when I messaged him on Facebook to ask if he was going to buy the Cubs. I really wanted him to buy the Cubs back in the day when uh, Zell and the ownership was doing nothing with the team and, and Cuban was putting in a bid. Uh, we ended up drinking 40s in brown paper bags at a bar in Chicago, and he's just a cool dude. He's, he's what you hear about him as being a really chill billionaire. Um, in fact, he still messages me about how I promised him I would play Edward 40 hands, and we still have never done that. And if you don't know what that is, it's a game where you have to duct tape 40s to each hand, and you can't take either off until you finish both. Um, and we've been trying to – in fact, I'm going to try to do a visual podcast with Mark Cuban where we play Edward 40 hands while we're doing the podcast I don't know if Disney will approve, but I'll give it a shot. Anyway, so we're acquaintances, friends now, and I always end up going to his DirecTV party at the Super Bowl. And last year, we partied well past the party was done. Bunch of us all still hanging out. It's about 4 a.m., 
And Mark says, hey, let's go back to my hotel. We'll go to the bar there. So none of us are thinking what bar has a what hotel has a bar open till four. We're all like, let's just keep the party going. So there's about eight or nine of us. And we can't seem to get a cab because the party was in the middle of nowhere. And I spot the ambulance that's parked outside the party. And it's meant to be there in case something happened at the party, just in case emergencies. The party is ending. They're about to leave. And as they drive by, I stop them and I say, hey, are you guys done for the night? They said, yeah. I said, any chance you can give us a ride to Mark's hotel? Just it's not far. We just can't get a ride. They're like, sure. So Mark Cuban and the rest of us all pile into the back of an ambulance. We're sitting on a stretcher. Someone's on the defibrillator. Uh, and we get a ride from the ambulance to the hotel. And of course, by the time we get to the hotel, it's like 4.30 in the morning and there's clearly no bar open and no after party. So we all went home. But we have this great story and some great photos of hanging out in the back of an ambulance. Yep. So um, those are the weird things that happen Super Bowl week. And I've told plenty of other odd and unique stories about uh, weird groups of people that end up at after parties and um, amazing opportunities to network and meet talent and, and and other media people that you admire. So it's a great and awesome week that's definitely worth putting in the hustle for. I've told a story before about one year packing a sleeping bag in my suitcase and sleeping on the floor of my friend's empty apartment that she'd already moved out to out of, but uh, still had, you know, the rent for the rest of the month, uh, stealing internet from a stranger and buying a shower curtain at Walgreens uh, just so I could have somewhere to stay because uh, my company couldn't afford to pay and just hustle and, and, and find your way into Radio Row, find your way into interviews. So um, I'm jealous of all the, the young up-and-comers that are still hustling like that and getting their good stuff out there, but at the same time, it was very cold. So I'm okay with missing it this year. Um, and Allison's going to give us a little bit of insight into what's going on out there anyway. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Allison. That's what she said. So awesome to have Allison Turner from The Levitard Show with Stu Gotts on today's pod. You never get to hear enough of Allison on The Levitard Show, uh, mainly because she's terrified of speaking into a microphone and hides. But today we've trapped her because she's out in Minneapolis for the Super Bowl, working Radio Row for a couple different shows, which means she is our outlet to what's going on in Minnesota. Allison, I escaped Minneapolis last night. I literally full sprinted a full mile in the airport to make the last flight out of town. But you're still there at the Mall of America. So paint us a picture of Radio Row. Radio Row is as claustrophobic as anything <laughs> I've ever seen. It's usually really spacious. This yes. year, it's mushed. Everybody's just mushed in this tiny space. And by the way, I don't hate the microphone. I hate cameras. Okay. Okay, good. That's good, because that'll help for this podcast. There are no cameras, but yeah. there is a microphone, obviously. Um, so what's odd is that the Mall of America is the biggest mall in the world, or at least the country, and yet somehow it's smushed. So is this a planning issue? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's just the radio por- portion of it because the TV, NFL network is sort of spread out, but the actual radio stations are just, there's usually a nice bit of space between the different radio sh- shows. And this year it's just really, it's super confined. If you're claustrophobic, it's terrible. Did you come to Radio <laughs> Row? Were you here at no. all? Or? No, no. I um I uh just did a eating and drinking tour of Minneapolis yesterday with Lindsay Whalen of the Minnesota Lynx. So a slightly better gig than yours, I think. <laughs> Definitely better. Speaking I of mean, your gig, can, what? yeah, I want to talk what? about. You mentioned that things are mushed and that you're stuck there, claustrophobically surrounded by you know radio meatheads and gas bags. And uh, a story has already hit the World Wide Web of two local 
competitors screaming at each other while on the air and while people are trying to interview uh, guests around them. And you had a front row seat for this. So explain to me the 10th circle of hell that is watching that go down. I just, I look over and I see this guy on a cell phone, speakerphone, screaming at another guy. And he stands up and he's like, no, you. And the other guy's, no, you. And just everybody around is taking video of it. Because when things happen that look like it's a bad thing, people don't stop and try and help. They just want to tape it. (laughs) No, they're screaming at each other. And I don't, I think it's a joke. I'm like, is this a joke? What are they really fighting about? And it was for real, I guess. And the two of them just kept screaming at each other. And I think they were from Houston. And it was just a bizarre. They were yelling at each other about their ratings. Which, I mean, as I said, 10th circle of hell. Two local radio gas bags screaming at each other about who's getting better ratings while other people are actually trying to do their jobs around them. So um, congrats to you on getting sent out each year to cover Radio Row. You have got some good guests for the guys. Of course, Kenny G comes on every day for you guys during Super Week and says, you know, what's the number one thing that they need? He's to play the, the anthem. Everyone knows the bit. But you've also gotten T.O. and Jerome Bettis and Jason Witten. Um, so it sounds like the guys are actually allowing you to get them some guests this year. Usually they send you out there and say no to everyone. They always say no. Dan rejects everybody, but they've accepted pretty much everybody. Tomorrow's Von Miller, Terry Bradshaw, Golden Tate, Mark Ingram. Friday, Travis Kelsey, Devin Hester, Patrick Peterson, Buster Rhymes. Wow, that's a good list. So I yeah. mean, it's a it's a it's a claustrophobic shit show in a mall, but the the, yeah. the stars are coming out, so that's good for you. Um, what What's the hardest part about booking a show like The Levitard Show? Because you don't get to just fall on the traditional, that's a big name and people want to hear from They're They're very picky. Well, Dan is admittedly a guest snob, so <laughs> it's hard to, he says no to everybody. No, I don't want to talk to him. He's not interesting. Um, it's also hard because Dan doesn't, he well, he doesn't ask the questions. He doesn't do the soft questions. It's harder to book sports people for Dan's show because they're aware of his, of him and his style. It's easier to book people in entertainment because they're not really that familiar with the show. So it, I have more luck in that realm. By the way, I want to go back to the Houston thing. The best part about it is EEI. That station, all of them, Kirk and Callahan, they're yeah. right next to me. And they oh were boy. filming the whole thing like this. I, mean, I think they were stopping their radio show and getting a microphone so that they can be front and center of it. Oh, of course. It was, it, That's it like was, more exciting yeah, than was, almost anything that happens on Radio Row. I mean, other than, you know, Miss Tennessee calf roping champion 2018 and a guy who's walking around with like yogurt samples, a fight always tops that. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you're 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 talking about booking sports versus uh, like actors and musicians and stuff. You guys do have a lot of big stars that are not in the sports world, which I love listening to. And you do get some of them back. You've got you know like J.K. Simmons and, and and a couple regulars that come on all the time, and they like Dan's shtick. But there's also people who you get once and never again. So how tough is that for you as a booker to try to go back to a team where you've already alienated like one of the players? Or go back to a rep that has, you know, a couple actors and doesn't want any of them to talk to you guys. Well, so Ed Helms was somebody that was, it was super awkward. And Dan ended it with the most vile question. 
And the booker, somehow it didn't get back to him. And he was from Warner Brothers and it just, he knows the show and it didn't, something like that I thought would ruin the relationship. Um, But it didn't, it turned out to be okay. I don't know if it's because we got lumped into a bunch of other, like a string of radio shows that he did. Um, But I just try and do the best I can as far as apologizing and just being as respectful that I can with whomever the booker is or the publicist. And I haven't really run into that with people in entertainment. It hasn't happened so much. Yeah. For those who missed it, Dan asked Ed Helms if he sits or stands to wipe when he does a number two. And Ed ended up going on uh, another podcast and using the Levitard show without without knowing the name as an example of like one of the dumbest interviews he's had to do. So good, that's good. It's good publicity. Can we just deconstructed this question (laughs) for a minute? (laughs) And then he answered it. Like he said, I'm not going to make people think about that. And then instead of answering it for you guys, he went on another podcast and broke down, not understanding that some people do stand to wipe. So basically, he just took all the glow from the Levitard show of the awkward things they like to discuss. And they and he took it somewhere else. So uh, it's a double it's a double whammy, really, for everyone involved. Um, do you tell guests before they come on? Do you give them a warning like this isn't really a normal interview? He's probably not going to do small talk. Yeah, I mean, I definitely depending on who it is um, and if it's a subject that's super weird, you know, where they ask, you know, I don't know. It's the, the topic of the day. Like I remember Chris Pratt came on and it was like, would you ever go to a nude beach? <laughs> I usually prep them. They might, we've been talking about going to a nude beach. They might ask you about that just so that they don't, you know, they're not completely thrown. I usually, the show's light. It's not really serious. I definitely, when I pitch the show, because people sometimes in, in the entertainment world will come back to me and say, well, they're not sports fans. And I'll always say, Dan doesn't want to talk to, J.K. Simmons about sports. He's more interested in his career. Because Dan right. originally said to me when I started booking for him, I just want interesting people. And he definitely doesn't want to talk sports with people. So I just I, I usually say it's light and entertaining and it's not so serious. Talk to me about a couple of the guests that you've uh, established personal relationships with. Bob Einstein is one of them. He obviously plays Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm and um, – is a very funny dude. He's brothers of Albert Brooks and um, Super Dave Osborne, obviously. What exactly is it about you and Bob Einstein that has resulted in you talking to him almost every single day, even though he no longer comes on the show? Like, how did that happen? How did yes. we start talking? Yes. I, don't, I, I think he just likes to talk, and so do I. And we just... <laughs> We started talking about political stuff, and we were just like, "Did you see this? Or did you see what so and so? And and did you watch this person on Saturday Night Live?" And I'm so interested in his opinion on comics, and so I'll just, I don't know. I just, what did you think of that? And it just spiraled into, "Did you see this?" And it just spiraled into a friendship that's definitely bizarre. His wife, yeah. so he was sick a few weeks ago, and I hadn't heard from him, and I started to, I started to really panic. So I was calling him a lot. I was worried he wasn't answering. And his wife called me and she was like, I think her name is Berta. She was like, this is Berta Einstein. Bob has the flu, but he misses you. He misses your talks. And he, I was like, this is like the sweetest so thing. Surreal. She was like, he really misses you. He loves, I know. I was like, he said she, he loves talking to you, but he's okay. Oh, so God. I was 
Be, and for yeah. those, I mean, I'm assuming people listening are into the Levitard show, but um, they've had a couple prominent recurring guests who unfortunately passed away shortly after appearing on the show. Uh, so now people like to claim that there's, you know, some sort of Levitard curse and they kill their guests. So Bob Einstein has not been on because he doesn't want to die. He likes living. Uh, so instead of coming on the show, he just talks to you almost every day and you have private conversations <laughs> that are not for air, which isn't weird at all. Um <laughs> and that's kind of the case also uh, with your boy, Norm McDonald, right? Well, I never, I only spoke to Norm while he was doing Celebrity Prognosticator. I would talk to him. I would send him Collins picks after he made them, but I never talked to him after he appeared. Like that, I think it was last football season. So I only talked to him each week, sending him Collins picks and so that was so a that short was really fling, it. So but it, it was meaningful to you. Yep. It was very <laughs> meaningful to me. I'll tell you why. Because the first text I got from Norm McDonald, he, I was typing to him, and I was, like, thinking, I was trying to, I was thinking about what I was texting him, and he, he wrote back, why did you stop typing, Allison? Because, you know, you have the three dots. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the cutest thing. I was like, I loved it. Why did you stop typing, Allison? And he spelled my name right. Oh, wow. I was like, Attention to detail. Yeah, it was just, it was just cute. So well, he's another I, one that, that you know, he wouldn't, that he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't actually be on the air talking and the guys would be doing their show and be like, Allison's still on the phone with Norm, just giggling and smiling and blushing. And um, so I love that you've established this sort of relationship. What's the weirdest maybe text or response you've gotten from a guest either saying they don't want to come on or after an interview that went weird? Um, are they reaching out to you usually afterwards to complain or, or be weird? The the most uncomfortable or the weirdest was Jamie Farr's son. Oh, that yeah. turns really ugly fast. Um, and that's such a long story. But Jamie Farr's son, oh, it started with Bob Einstein. He suggested that we should have Jamie Farr when Alan Thicke was the guest. And then Dan loved it. And he said, let's get Jamie Farr. And it turns out that Jamie Farr's son is a big fan of Highly Questionable and watches it every day. So when I had reached out for Jamie Farr, it, it just, when I reached Basically, out Basically, I think Dan him, called him, like, wash up or, like, that no one knew him because he was old and no one cared or something, and that kind of set yeah, his son off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he called him, like, a D-list. Is he a, cra- yes. a crappy celebrity? Yes. Went, right before he was booked to come on yes. to pick games. And this is and why your job like, is so and, hard, because you're literally, you end up having to appease people after Dan is, or Stugatz has insulted them. I just, you just reminded me of a very awkward moment with a publicist. Dan Aykroyd came on to pitch Crystal Head Vodka, uh-huh. and Dan did a poll, is Dan Aykroyd A-list? And it was on Twitter and it was just, I mean, it's not nice. So the publicist was like, what are we seeing on Twitter? Why, you know, so that was an awkward conversation too. Man. Yeah. They really stick you in some, in some awkward places with the guests, but then also you're sort of like Dan's assistant in a way. Is that technically part of your job description? Well, I just, yeah. I mean, it's not technically part of it. I mean, technically it's just guest booker on the show, but Working on the show, it just, you know, if somebody's, hey, Allison, can you take care of this? It just it turns into something. It just turns into that. 
Yes. Getting him, you know, comedy or, or, or tickets to a concert or getting him a suit at the last minute when he realizes he hasn't tried his on in years and he can't go to a wedding because he doesn't fit in it. Uh, a variety right. of tasks that you have. Um, what's the weirdest thing that Stu Gotts has ever asked you to do for him? Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to tell you two weird things that Dan recently asked. Okay, he asked okay. me to get low-sodium soup for his dad to be delivered at, like, 7 o'clock at night at just, like, a random time when there's – And it had to be warm and not something that he heats up. And Dan was like, I need low-sodium soup delivered to my dad, but I'm not going to be available for the next hour and a half, so take care of the bike. Like, and he was, like, going to not be near his phone. I'm like, wait, what? Like – so that was a tough one. And the other day, Dan Stugatz was sick, and Dan said, can you get Stugatz a Medipot? And I was like, I'm out. Like, I need to go. Like, well, so, I mean, you and, you and Dan have a very special relationship. But, I mean, is there a time when you're just living your life and Dan's like, hey, can you organize some soup for my dad? And you're like, but why is this my job at 7 p.m. when I'm not – I left the studio hours ago. Yeah, well, that one I was getting my hair cut, and I don't usually, like, have my phone. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, it was just one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, how am I going to do this? That was, a, that was a really hard thing to find because then it became, it couldn't be from a can. It had to be fresh, low-sodium chicken noodle soup <sighs> delivered warm. It, yeah, that, that was a hard one. Yeah. But he um, got the soup. He got the soup. Yeah, well, Dan usually ends up, I, and I have I have something else on, on Dan's request later, but, but I don't want you to evade the topic of the weirdest thing that Stu Gatz has asked you to do. Oh, Stu Gatz. Stu Gatz will just, he, Stu Gatz does this thing. He, he doesn't do it anymore, but he'll say, get me so-and-so's number. Or he'll ask me for a phone number, or I think he asked me for a PR contact for a show recently, like a show that his kids want to see. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> ask me for something Oh, the dead show. He asked me to, you know, oh, yes. you know. Yes, like, you got you yeah, got Stu Gatz on stage for a Grateful Dead concert by, I believe, lying about his age. And did did he also fake an illness, or was it just that he was having a fiftieth birthday or something that was not his birthday? He just yeah. He said, "Tom, it's my birthday. It's a big deal. I love the dead. <laughs> I've been going to however many shows. Please, 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 see what you can do." And then at first he always. Says, I'll take care of it. Like, give me the contact. I'll reach out to them. You don't have to. It's fine. I'm like, Stigat, you're not, you know, you're not reaching out to them. Stop. <laughs> so that one was awesome. So you end up doing Stugatz. all this nice stuff for Stugat most of the time. But, uh, you know, anyone who listens to the show knows at one time when he was the program director, he had you fired because he accidentally saw an email where you complained about him being a jerk <laughs> and boss. Um, but, of course, you're now back working with him all the time. How much is that like a real back and forth when you're annoyed with him about something? And how much of that is for the show? The, the resentment when he fired me? Yes, when I was or like when, when he's, or like when he makes you go make him tea and then says he doesn't know how to do it, and you're like, it's hot water in a bag. Do it it's yourself. Hot water like, is, in a bag. is that he, yeah? Is that like carryover from that like lingering resentment from being fired, or is this like a fun back and forth for the show? That time when I worked at Seven Ninety, he was general manager, I was program director. It was almost a, a relief if that's <laughs> and he he when he fired me two hours later, he called me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Can you come back? And I'm sorry. <laughs> and so 
it, it just like, what? It, he's apologized multiple times, and it honestly worked out better for me. And I don't hold on to that resentment. It's not. I, I mean, I know Stugatz, and I do. You know, it's like Stugatz is Stugatz. Like, and he, I, I still ultimately think of him as a friend, and I do think that if I was in a situation where, I mean, I just, I, he's Stugatz, but I don't think he's ill and. Like he's just—I don't—I don't hold on to that resentment. Yeah, and it he's is a lovable like so screw up. Where it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I don't—I'm not like I can't believe you did that to me. Like <laughs> it was <laughs> the story is ridiculous. It I is. Was ridic- it is. It is a ridiculous story, and it will always allow <laughs> you guys to have this unique relationship. That's for sure. All right, so I want to talk. I'm coming to Miami in a couple weeks, and I've already done some reconnaissance. I'm trying to find a homeless shelter or dog shelter that needs towels um, because Dan announced on his show that he uses each of his towels once after he buys it and then throws it out. Can you confirm this to be an actually true thing? I didn't know that he did that. Um, he During the show or at home? Like he said D- that during I During the show the he said at home. Away. Yeah, because I believe this came up when uh, when Mike was going to use the bidet and had to splash it on his face as part of the grit of death. And and Dan offered up that he could use any one, one of the towels in the bathroom because they're brand new. Because he said, I buy them and I use them once and then I throw them out. I can't believe that that's true. Well, so I'm trying to find out like if it's true. Because first of all, uh, an incredible waste of money. Secondly... Uh, just filling landfills with one once used towels makes me angry as a human being. And thirdly, like I said, there's like a dog rescue that would absolutely love to have those for bathing or putting in the sh- cage with the dogs so that they're more comfortable. So I was going to coordinate to have somebody come and pick up his old once used towels instead of throwing them in a landfill. But I, I, I needed some confirmation that that is, in fact, how weird he is. No, that's incredibly wasteful. I can't imagine that he would do that all like, right i'm gonna do weird some more reconnaissance on that let's see it seems too wasteful even for a guy who's got some weird idiosyncrasies so i'm gonna follow up and make sure that that was hyperbole because otherwise i'm i'm making this happen and i'm gonna i'm gonna set up my own i'm gonna pay someone to come and pick them up purely for the sake of not <laughs> wasting them um speaking of that what's it like working for someone who is um so with unique. I mean, Dan is so smart and he's very thoughtful and he's very aware of everyone around him, but he's also very quirky. Like he has some very unique needs and wants. Um, And it feels like you're the one who sort of has to be in tune to that. You and Mike, uh, who produces the show, um, it's not a normal working relationship for like the average radio show. Dan, I mean, I think this may be a surprise to people or maybe not, but Dan is like one of the most generous kind people I know. Like he just, and I, when I worked at 790 and first started working with him, they had just started the show and it was probably 10, 11 years ago. And he's just would come into my office. How can I do this better? He's just very thoughtful and he's just very loyal and kind and not, I mean, he's a rare entity when it comes to, I mean, this may be me taking a shot at sports radio, but he's just, he takes his producers with him every time he goes, all of them. And it is, a very large staff. He's just, he's, he's very loyal, kind and generous. He's quirky and he's weird. And I'll put him on the metal stand with Billy too, (laughs) but he's also, he has a really like, he has qualities that are, are rare in this business and rare just for people 
as successful as him. Like he just yeah. really has, I mean, just really thoughtful and sensitive and he's just very kind and he takes care of everyone that works for him in a way. I mean, he's like, I mean, he's just really generous and he's good to all of us. And he's, he's tough at moments because he wants the show to sound good and be good and be creative, but he's also really supportive of everybody's creativity and wants everybody to just, he, he's, What's the word? He's really good at cultivating that in somebody and encouraging yeah. them, whether it is to fail, go for it, it's a bit dot. You know what I mean? He doesn't want anyone to hold on to anything that doesn't work. He just sort of likes those moments. But I'm really lucky to work for someone like him. Yeah, he's got uh, – people often talk about the Lebitard t- tree almost like he's a coach, you know, because of all of us that come on as regulars and he helps to, like, elevate our profile and teach us. And, you know, I reach out to him all the time for advice on my career and, and everything else. So I think you're right about that. I think that that mostly shows up to people who listen to the show enough um, and, and kind of get him. Is there a part of you, like, that – uh, I know you said you're afraid of the cameras, but you you end up being known from the show. So is there a part of you that likes, you know, going out and about and people saying, hey, it's Allison, I love the show, or is that like your worst nightmare? Well, that's never happened. Really? <laughs> never happened. So, yeah, no, that's never happened because I, I think because I'm not on camera that that's, that's never happened. So Every once in a while they catch would... you in the back hiding doing your best to stay away yeah but i've never been stopped anywhere maybe because i don't live anywhere near the show i don't know that could be it maybe i don't know never i know the people on twitter have been clamoring for you to be on because you're you're a mystery allison people don't know other than knowing that you would like to marry norm mcdonald and you're best friends with bob einstein um and you like (laughs) people who look like divorced dads. Uh, we don't know a lot about you. And so <laughs> Mike Ryan has this thing that I like broken dads because I think that Chuck Pagano has a sexy voice. I like his voice. I just like it. He's like, you like broken dads. So I'm like, okay, maybe I do. Well, I mean, admittedly, Norm MacDonald could look like a broken dad at times, although you know, most of the time he's got his you know what together. So, and maybe an unfair, uh, an unfair representation of your interest in uh, in the opposite sex, but it is funny nonetheless. So we're going to stick with it. We're going to keep with that stereotype. Um, all right, Allison, anything big on on the schedule for the next couple of days? Are you there all the way till Sunday? No, I'm actually leaving Friday. Kind of a bummer because I'm an Eagles fan. Oh, um, that's too bad. But that's okay. You couldn't get Dan to hook yeah. you up to go to the game. Well, he wanted to, and I said, don't. Throw around some weight, We have to get you in there. Do it. No, it's fine. I want to get out of here. No, I want to get out of here like you. Seize the day, Allison. Go to the damn party Saturday night. I can get you in, and then go to the game. Come on. There's also no hotels here. Yes, there's actually, actually, when I was full sprinting through the airport last night, I texted my husband and said, I am current. Well, this was while I was on the tram waiting to full sprint. So I had a brief moment to text him and say, can you please find out if there's any hotels available? And apparently there are still hotels for the rest of the week. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Why did and you run people, out of here? Um, because I was doing a shoot and they kept changing the cameras over and over. And I was like, you have six minutes. You have five minutes. And <laughs> basically I had to full sprint and speed and it was bad um, but I made it which is good um, so yeah don't use I, I, these excuses are empty you need to make it happen you need to report back you never know hey listen you never know when the Eagles are going to get back there yes this is true this is very true and you want to be there in person when they unseat 
the king, Tom Brady. We hope. I'm like you, back in hope. this weird. I know. I can you hear, hear that you are now back. In, yes. Yes. And I'm going to have to let you go because I'm going to get a contact uh, claustrophobia just by listening to you and remembering what it's like and, and like overhearing local radio schlubs fighting. So, um, Allison, thank you for stepping in at the, at the, at the, uh, 11th hour. Is that what they say? I think that's the saying. Um, I'm sure people will be clamoring for yet another visit from you. And before you go, you do have to do one thing. Dan, you know what time it is. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. If it's your first time on the pod, that means you have to do the Spanish Inquisition, the questions that everybody are asked, Allison, and nobody expects it. Number one, what's a natural talent you'd like to be gifted with? I'd like to be a great dancer. Oh, nice. Good one. Number two, your Desert Island album. You can only have one. Oh, Mary J. Blige, anything. Oh, wow. That was quick. That's your that's your jam. Yeah, I love her. Really? Uh, yeah. Number three, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Hmm. For a day, anybody? Uh, for one day, um, Simone Biles. Ooh, that would be a good one. Uh, number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, most scared I've ever been. Huh. Mm, that's a tough one. Um, most scared I've ever been. I can't even think. No, uh, no accidents or flight fears or just got out of college. What am I going to do with my life or relatively conflict, conflict free life you've led. I can't really think of something that I've been really scared. That's good. Other than I guess uh, being on camera. So yeah, that's probably every, the top. That is, that is my biggest fear. <laughs> I know it is. I said to someone who's afraid of drowning. I said, he produces uh, Golic and Wingo, and I said, imagine every day you're afraid of drowning, every day going to work and being underwater, like yeah. in water. That's what it's like for me. So he's like, it's not the same because drowning is not, I mean, you're not a real die. thing. You yes. can actually yeah. die. <laughs> but uh, he knows how to swim, so it is irrational. Sorry. That is true. That is true. Um, number five, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure... Hmm. Wow, that's also hard. Um, this is really hard. <laughs> um, I guess my one is regret count. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say that I didn't pursue, like I was a gymnast, and I I just didn't really pursue anything. I quit, like in, uh, going into high school, that I didn't pursue yeah. anything athletically. That's a good one. I mean, it's not good that you did that, but that's definitely something that you would regret or like, you know, wish you could go back and try again. Um, number six, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Uh, persistence. Yeah, that's a good one for your job for sure. Um, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Fear of cameras. Like that insecurity. <laughs> Yeah, you need to go to like a commercial boot camp or something where they teach you how to like pretend the camera's your friend and smize. 
you know, all that I had stuff. someone told me I need to go to a nude beach. That That's how the Chris Pratt thing came up. Like, <laughs> oh, that I need God. To yeah, that's, that, that would not Apparently, be the answer for me. <laughs> right. There's yeah. actually a restaurant in France, in Paris now, that's a nude restaurant, which is my worst nightmare because I'm really creeped yeah, out by like restaurants that too. seem weird. Yeah, yo- nude yoga, I can't decide what's worse. I don't want to be around nude people when I'm eating food or like sitting on a chair <laughs> and wondering who is sitting there or like looking at some, you know, gross person that's like hairy while I'm eating my food. But I also don't want to do a downward dog and like <laughs> – Looking at so animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a tie. Um, number eight, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Uh, funny. Uh, considerate. Uh, thoughtful. Those are good. And the bonus question, who would you recommend that I invite to be on this podcast? Of anyone? Anyone. Bob Einstein. All right. He's on the list. I'm going to tell him that you sent you sent him and that as of yet, no one that's been on my pod has died. So he might actually do it. <laughs> he might do it. Thank you, Allison. Have fun in Minneapolis. You're welcome. I hate See you for leaving. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Bye. Well, that's what she said. This week's That's What She Read is a book that's actually from a couple years ago that I've been wanting to read forever. And I had a, a couple days off in Palm Springs and I sat by the pool and read, I think, only my fourth full book in the last two years, which is awful because I love reading and I've been so busy. So basically on vacation is the only time that I can just bang them out super quick and, and get a read in. And this was one I've been wanting to read for a while. It's The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. And I was reading this one segment, and it was from a commencement speech that she gave at her alma mater of Dartmouth. And it just struck a chord with me, and I immediately sent it to one of the young folks that I that I mentor and I talk to about up and coming in this industry and how it can be tough in the early, early years when you're trying to find your way. And what she wrote just absolutely spoke to the attitude that you have to have when you're just getting started. And I know a lot of people who listen to this are sort of into the process. So um, I'll just read a little bit, but I recommend you, you grab the book or if you can find her commencement speech online, I, I guarantee it's it's transcribed somewhere. Um, but she's talking about doing instead of dreaming. And um, she basically says, you know, she wants you to dream. She wants you to embrace, you know, how you want to change the world. But Everyone who gives speeches like that and that's all they focus on are missing the main point. Uh, she said, I think that's crap. I think a lot of people dream and while they're busy dreaming, the really happy people, the really successful people, the really interesting, powerful, engaged people are busy doing. The dreamers, they stare at the sky and they make plans and they hope and they think and they talk about it endlessly. And they start a lot of sentences with, I want to be or I wish. I want to be a writer. I wish I could travel around the world. And they dream of it. The button-upped ones meet for cocktails and they all brag about their dreams. The hippie ones have vision boards and they meditate on their dreams. You write in your journal about your dreams or discuss it endlessly with your best friend or your girlfriend or your mother. And it feels really good. You're talking about it. You're planning it. Kind of. You are blue-skying your life. And that's what everyone says you should do, right? That's what Oprah and Bill Gates did to get successful, right? No. Dreams are lovely, but they're just dreams. Fleeting, ephemeral, pretty. But dreams do not come true just because you dream them. It's hard work that makes things happen. It's hard work that creates change. Lesson one, ditch the dream. Be a doer, not a dreamer. 
Maybe you know exactly what you dream of being or maybe you're paralyzed because you have no idea what your passion is. The truth is it doesn't matter. You don't have to know. You just have to keep moving forward. You just have to keep doing something, seizing the next opportunity, staying open to trying something new. It doesn't have to fit your vision of the perfect job or the perfect life. Perfect is boring and dreams are not real. Just do. You think I wish I could travel? You sell your crappy car and buy a ticket and go to Bangkok right now. I'm serious. You say I want to be a writer? Guess what? A writer is someone who writes every day. Start writing. Or you don't have a job? Get one. Any job. Don't sit at home waiting for the magical dream opportunity. Who are you, Prince William? No, get a job. Work. Do until you can do something else. And she goes on to talk about how her dream was to be like Toni Morrison. And all along the way, as she was figuring out how to get to that, she took other paths and made other choices and did other jobs and ended up being an incredibly successful TV writer who has some of the most successful shows on television. So um, I just like that. And it sounds simple to do, but I do find that a lot of people in their younger years get busy dreaming. And if the very thing in front of them doesn't feel like it's the step to get to where they want, they don't take it. And unfortunately, you got to take a lot of weird steps. I mean, I was... A boxing ring girl holding up boxing ring numbers in a casino in East L.A. I was pointing to cars at a golf course in Newport Beach. I was flipping a plastic egg in a fake iron pan for Iron Chef on Hollywood Boulevard. I did a lot of weird jobs and I made a lot of weird choices and they all ended up somewhere that wasn't my original dream. I failed at my original dream and now I'm doing something awesome. So um, I recommend that book. I recommend that part of it too. And that is – that's what she read. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.